0: And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away in another time and another place. And for the Christian, the other time and another place is not a pipe dream of something we're hoping and wishing for someday. It is a promise from God. Thank you, Sherry, for reminding us that this morning. Amen? Amen? Amen. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2 this morning. Titus chapter 2. And on this Mother's Day, um, I want us to direct our hearts to this passage. And Titus was one of Paul's protégés in, in, in ministry. And Paul, was, Paul mentored him and trained him up. And he, he sent him to the island of Crete and said, there you go. Take it. You can do it. You can pastor. You can lead it. Um, and um, so, evidently, what we have here, the letter to Titus, is Titus figuring out he doesn't know everything, and he there were some maybe some gaps that they didn't teach him in seminary. Uh, what seminary he got from Paul, and uh, so Paul is writing back to him and giving him um, some encouragement. And in, in the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy and to Titus, they some of the greatest pastoral literature that we have and just encouragement in the ministry. And here in chapter 2, he writes to, to Titus and he says, but as for you, no, no matter what anyone else says or ev- everyone else sort of has their plan and their agenda and their ideas for what you need to do, and, and Paul says, but as, as for you, no matter what anyone else is teaching and saying, he says to Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach the truth, not the latest fad, not the latest idea. Teach the truth, teach God's word. And then he goes down in, in verses from 2 uh, to 15 and gives some great encouragement and exhortation and, and application for, for Titus. And he says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, and love and in steadfastness, steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. He continues on the next few chapters giving exhortation to the young men, to the slaves. He kind of hits the whole gamut of the ancient world no matter what station or status you were in life. Paul gave some some a great teaching for Titus. This morning we we're going to zero in on what it means to be a Titus to women. Now, guys, we're not off the hook because everything we're also in here. So you, we we need to study this passage. Um, but everything that Paul really gives to Titus for women, these character traits and things, these are all things every believer uh, needs to learn. But on this Mother's Day at Hermitage, we're going to zero in on answer, seek to answer the question: What is a Titus? Two women, would you pray with me as we look to God's word? Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we do not have to guess at your truth, that we don't have to walk blindly through life. But God, you have revealed your word to us, and it is true, and it is sure, and it is a firm foundation. You are a firm foundation upon which we can build our life, upon whom we can build our family, upon which we can build our church and our community and our world. And we build it, Lord, on you today. And ask that you would help us to understand where we are and where we need to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning I want us to unpack just a few characteristics of what it means, what I believe Paul is teaching us, and what it means to be a Titus II woman. And the very first thing that jumps right out at me from verse 3 is that a Titus II woman honors God. A Titus II woman honors God. In verse 3, it says, Older women, now I'm not going to get into the, um, the debate on what age constitutes an older woman. The age of accountability—I don't know—we're not going to get we are not going to delve into such matters um, where angels fear to trot. Okay, but he says older older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. And here this idea the idea of reverent here Paul is using a word a lot of times we can help like understand words by seeing where they're used in other places in the New Testament and get to understand Paul uses one of these words that he doesn't really use many other places so we we have to really broaden our uh, understanding and e- examination of ancient literature to get the answer but this this word that Paul uses translate the ESV translates as reverent comes from the idea of This is the attitude that you're to have when you walk into a temple. That's the type of word. It was a spiritual, religious type of word. So the idea is if if you've ever walked into uh, a cathedral and you see the the stone archways and the the stained glass and the vaulted ceilings and you walk in, there's almost a sense the place almost makes you feel like, I need to be quiet in here. I need to control myself. Unless you're, you know, you were raised in church and you know when you walk into church you're supposed to run around and lose your mind. And so that's, 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 that's what we do. But when, when we, we get those ideas, those places, that sometimes places can give us that sense that, okay, this is not um, the trampoline zone. This is not high wire. I'm going to go crazy. But this is where I need to be quiet. And still before the Lord. So this, this idea where, where Paul is saying let the, let the older women uh, be reverent. He, he, wasn't just, he wasn't just saying okay let them just walk around quiet. But it was an indication of the heart. It was an attitude that was not don't be crazy. Be focused on the Lord. Because Paul also says what our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And if, if our bodies are a temple, that changes, that should change our attitude and our actions if the presence of the living God dwells there. The Greek Christians would have also understood Paul as they took that, understood that meaning of the word, and then were seeking to apply it, would have translated it and understood that. A woman who honors God is one who demonstrates within her heart a holiness and a wholeness that her heart belongs to God and God alone. Titus 2 woman, and if if you look at everywhere else Paul goes from here, all the other applications that he gives all stem out from number one. That for a Titus II woman, Christ is first and foremost in her heart and in her life. Everything else flows out out from that. So we talk about following the Lord and we talk about uh, being a Christian, what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't start from the outside in. Okay, I'm going to stop smoking, drinking, chewing, whatever, all those things. I'm going to clean myself up. And then I can become a Christian. Becoming a Christian means being transformed from the inside out, letting Christ come in and take over and take take uh, residence in your heart and then transforming your desires, your character, your behavior, your attitude, all of those things. It's an it's a inside out kind of thing. And it begins with Titus 2, verse 3. A woman who honors God. And then, only then does he then switch to the actions, how that plays out. Number two, a Titus 2 woman is self-controlled. A Titus 2 woman is self-controlled. Verse 3, it says, Older women likewise, likewise are to be reverent in behavior. And he gives two examples here in verse 3. Not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And later down in verse 5, it, it talks about um, the uh, younger women to be self-controlled. And I think self-controlled summarizes what it means. If you, are, um, if you are addicted to wine, guess what you don't have? You don't have control over the wine. The wine is in control of you. If you're a slanderer, slander has to do with speech. That means you don't have control over your tongue. Your tongue has control over you. So if I had to, if I had to summarize Paul's exhortation here, a Titus 2 woman is self-controlled, self-controlled in speech. This area affects all of us. This is where, man, almost anyone, unless you are, unless you cannot talk, okay, and you physically cannot talk, you don't have a problem with this area. It's, it's all in your, it may all be in your, your thought life, but it's, I've met most of you. Most of you have no, no trouble talking, Um, some, some of us have, we struggle with knowing how to turn the faucet off. If you get what I, I'm saying, we kind of let it run a little too much, right? But here's self-controlled in speech. Speech is one of those things that, uh, we can either build up or we can do what? We can tear down. And how quick are we to do the building up? You know what our flesh likes us to do? Our flesh, or just our sinful nature. We ignore the positive and the encouraging and the building up. And what do we go straight to? We go straight to the criticism, the tearing down. We don't see the glass half full. We see the glass half empty. And we make sure we tell everyone about how, how empty it is. And I can see the rings around it. Instead of thinking, praise God, there's a glass and there's water in it. Amen? Or sweet tea or whatever it is. Okay? A Titus II woman is self-controlled in the area of speech. I think about James. If you look at James and James is encouraging, James has a whole lot to say about the power of the tongue. And he even says, who can bridle it? <laughs> who, can, who can control the tongue? It is so powerful and yet it is so true i think it's so it's so key here why why paul points out here that this is an area and this isn't this isn't just a a, a woman area this is all of us area how are we doing and controlling our speech and is God got are, are we are we exercising control over the words that come out of our mouth or do we let our flesh take over do we throw out whatever we're thinking, good or bad, before we discern? Should I be saying this? Is this encouraging? Is this edifying? And let the results be where they may. We just leave it out there. Leave, leave a mess for someone else to clean up. A Titus 2 woman is self-controlled in her, in her speech. She's self-controlled in her appetite. And here he talks about being a slave. Look in verse Uh, Look in verse 3. Not slanders or slaves to much wine. Paul already in 1 Timothy gives the qualifications. He gives the qualifications for elders and for deacons. And uh, he talks about they're not to be given to much wine. Here in Titus, he talks about being a slave to wine. He uses an even stronger terminology to say, hey, this is... This is an issue not just in our day. This was an issue in their day that, hey, alcohol and strong drink, there were some addictive things that were taking over, and and people were being controlled uh, by them. And I've I've got friends that love to argue the point of alcohol till they're blue in the face. And they want to say, well, I mean, chocolate can be addictive, I mean, and it's a substance that can control you. And if you eat enough of it, it will kill you. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. You, I, I've sometimes walked down that road. I'm, I'm Jason. I want to confess to you, I've been addicted to chocolate for most of my life and, until I discovered dark chocolate. And then I took my addiction to a whole other level like Milk chocolate is a gateway drug to dark chocolate. <laughs> but how do we know, like, and there's a point. There it's like I take that. It's like case in point, yes, but chocolate never killed someone on the highway. Chocolate never um caused domestic abuse and violence unless you take the chocolate away from a chocolate addict. I I think alcohol is definitely one of those things it is a dangerous thing to play with in your life and for me in my house we have said we're not we're not going to play with it Um, we're not going to have that in in our home to even mess around because there's no way to know if that one drink is going to cause you to become a lifetime of damage and enslavement to you and to your family but the application is not just about alcohol. If All you hear is the preacher said, I can't drink a beer on Friday night or have a glass of wine at dinner. You have missed the whole point. Because anything, any, a person, a thing, a substance, a drug, it can, we can become a slave to it. Now, how do you know if something is taking control of you? What's one way to know? Take it away. Can you live without it? I'll tell you, I'm borderline. Amy's going, I'll take it right now. Uh, there's some days she wants to flush this down the toilet, and I go, No, you, you can't do that because my plan's not up yet. Um, take it away. What can you not live without? if there's something in your life that you can't live without and his name isn't Jesus, and guess what? We've all got those places in our heart and in our life that we've got to deal with and say, okay, God, I need you to take control over this area. I, want to, I need to surrender this to you and I need you to help me to grow. And, uh, and, and you know, Paul says... Not He actually encourages. He says, look, don't get drunk with wine. What? Be filled with the Spirit. Yeah. Jesus is the answer to the longing in our heart that causes us to try to find our self-worth, to try to find our redemption, to try to find our comfort in other things, albeit good things, that when we, we allow them to control us, they become bad things in our life. For Paul, we are only bond servants to one person, and that's to Christ, who has said, My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And yet we, we seek to enslave ourselves to these things that are heavy and are burdensome and destructive and weigh us down. And Jesus is saying, I have come. That you might be free, that you might be free, indeed. Titus two woman is self controlled in, in her speech, is self controlled in her in her appetite, um, in anything. She doesn't allow anything to control her or to take ownership over her, and she's self controlled in purity. Here in verse five, he. He's very clear. He switches in verse 5. He's switching to the paragraph to the young women. And really encourages them in the area of purity. In sexual purity and in spiritual purity. Physically, as our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, we have to control what goes in, what we allow into our body, and what we do with our bodies. Spiritually. Spiritually. The idea of purity is not just about our physical bodies, but it's about our heart, and it's about our soul. It's about our our thought life. It's allowing God to have full reign in every aspect of our lives, in our heart, in our intellect, in our emotions, in our will, in our attitude, set apart to the Lord. Number three, a Titus 2 woman does not only honor God, Is not only a woman who is self-controlled, but a Titus 2 woman loves her family. In verses 4 and 5, he says, And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Because guess what? Some days you're not going to want to love your husband. Some days you're not going to really want to love your children. I mean, I know. I mean, it's hard sometimes when they start acting like us. Right? They don't just, you know, when they come out, they start, they look like us. And we coo, and then they, they look like us, and then they, they morph a little bit, and they're they looking like the mama, then they look like the daddy, and, and then they go back and looking like the mama, or they say this side or that side. But then they start acting like us, and that's when it really bothers us. Especially when they act, it's like they don't pick up the best aspects to it. What do they pick up? The worst, I mean, are the worst, are our greatest weaknesses, our impatience and are, are our perfectionism or our laziness or our discipline or lack of discipline or whatever it may, our anger or rage or some of those things, our stubbornness. I'm not saying that just from personal experience, but I'm just saying they take after us. Now, a Titus 2 woman loves her husband in spite of himself. And loves her children in spite of them. Sometimes the husbands we do, um, sometimes we just don't think. Sometimes we're, we're not very compassionate. Sometimes we open our mouths. And when we open them, we say the exact opposite of what we mean. I mean, we really meant the way it was supposed to come out, but so many times it comes out wrong. I'm just speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for the other men in this room, but maybe for me, that's where I where I, I I mess up. But a Titus two woman loves her husband, loves her children. This stood out in this day because in the first century marriages. Marriages, for the most part, were arranged. The idea of marrying for love is, is, was foreign in, in this time frame. Not that love didn't happen or occur, but it, in, in our culture, in our time, we marry for love first. And I really want to go back to the arranged marriage thing. So I'm working on that. Um, by the time my daughters get up there, I'm some my other princess daddies are on that too. We're on the same page. We're going to start a club, back to arranged marriages. But uh, so this really stood out for Paul to say to love your husband, to really like truly, truly love him because that was uh, that was really kind of foreign in in the in the whole setup of marriage. And also he calls he calls the Titus two women to be submissive a woman to be submissive to her own husband. I mean, that goes completely against the grain of human nature. Human nature says, no one is the boss of me, right? I mean, that's, that's how, I mean, that is, we come out of the womb with fist raised. So, for anyone to tell anyone what to do or not to do, that's, I mean, that goes against our flesh, God has created, in a wonderful way, husband and wife. He created us equal in person. He, he created us with different roles. and He created the husband to be the spiritual head of the household. He's not off the hook. This isn't like you're your own king and your own man and we grunt and things happen. Okay? But God has called, God here calls the Titus 2 woman to submit, and and that is not blind obedience, but a self-sacrificial submission, which is at the heart of the gospel, to say not my will, but your will be done. That's the picture of we submit our will to that of the Father, and in, in the home we We submit our will to the earthly father. And and the earthly father is called not to um, lord over his family and lord over his wife and dominate his wife. But the, the biblical husband is called to love his wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? How far was he willing to go? For the church. He was willing to lay down his life for her. Complete self-sacrificial love. So this picture, don't read too much. I mean, I get letters every time we do like the whole biblical manhood and woman. I really don't. But I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm about to get a letter. Uh, it, this is shocking news to say, um, Titus 2, woman, submit to your husband. That's God's, that's God's plan. And, and worked out in God's plan and God's design. It's a beautiful Thing. But notice he says, Submit to who? Your own husband. That was shocking too, in this time frame, in this culture. Very patriarchal, uh, very male dominated. God doesn't call all women to submit to all men, He's called wives to submit to their husbands, not just to the idea. And you go into Middle Eastern countries today, women have absolutely zero rights um, in, in, in many places. Some places women can't drive and are completely submissive. Not, if they're caught without their husband, they're, they're called to be completely submissive to whatever man shows up on the street. Paul is saying that's not biblical manhood and womanhood. Okay? It's a Titus 2 woman loves her family, loves her husband in spite of himself, and loves her children, and is submissive to her own husband. Number four, Titus 2 woman is industrious. In verse 5 it says that they're to teach the young, young women to be busy at home. Now, I want to qualify that. Okay, I want to qualify that. That is, in this time frame, that was the woman's whole job revolved around the home. Okay, and taking care of the home. Just because that was what was described in the New Testament is not what is prescribed in our culture and our time. It's simply this this is don't take this. Paul isn't saying it's wrong for a woman to work outside of the home. It's it's not wrong. It's in our culture, in our day, in our time, it is it's a matter of survival in, in many cases, and it's it's not wrong to be called by the Lord, into a profession. That's what we call a vocation. And that's, that's good. Um, and, 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 and God honoring. The idea is not where you work, if you work in the home or out of the home. The idea is giving your life to the Lord and answering His calling in your life and working hard at it with everything you have. Whether, therefore, you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians ten thirty one, 31. And, and uh, also Paul says that whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. You, you, we don't work for the man. We work for the Lord. And are called to do and work in excellence for him. The greater principle is not where you work. The greater principle is working hard. We live in a a time and a day and an age where the, the bar is set to do just what you need to do to get by. What do I need to do to not get fired? What do I need? What's the bare minimum amount I can do to make it? And that's completely antithetical to God's will and God's plan. For a Christian, the Christian should be an example of someone who works hard and gives it everything that they've got and is a person of integrity in their place of work. But we can't neglect in understanding this that in following after the Lord and being industrious in in what God has called us to, God has called us to the home. We can't, we, we can't delegate out that responsibility. God has given us as the family unit, he has created and, and, and commissioned the family before he created the church, he created the family. And the question is, at your home, at your family level, husband, wife, family, whatever, whatever your, your family unit is and looks like right now. Are you creating a home or simply living arrangements? Are you creating a, a space that puts God first in your home? Are you creating a, a place at home that is a haven for the spiritual battle that is waging? Are you creating a place for your family that that is is not... It's not placing them in danger, but equipping them for the battle that we're facing. That's what, it, that's what all, these, all these sections here, talking about the home, protecting the, the husband and wife's relationship and, and, and fostering the home, all has to do because when the family, the family is what is under attack. And if the enemy can destroy the home and destroy the family, he can destroy the society, he can destroy the culture, he can destroy Individuals and take us down if he can put a wedge between a husband and a wife, he can destroy much more than just two people is that does that not bear true it's not just about us and what we want and our our desires. If God can put a wedge between a a, a mother and a son, it doesn't just affect those two people, does it? It affects everyone around them it affects other relationships as well. If God can, if if the enemy can can come in and and make the home a place of contention and a place of strife, he can shackle that whole family and get them so busy, distracted with fighting one another that even a believing family can keep them off the front lines and making a difference in the world number five, this is most important. After honoring God and putting Christ first and then then seeking God to come in and take over and transform, a Titus 2, 2 woman is, is focused on, on Christ and then, and then allows him to transform her in, in discipline and self-control and love and purity and all these things. But a Titus 2 woman, what sets her apart and what sets Titus 2 apart from every other Passage in, in scripture and teaching on biblical manhood and womanhood and our, and our role and our, God's plan for us is, is God calls our women, God calls us, but God calls our women to lead the next generation. He tells specifically in verse three, he says, older, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, slave to too much wine. They are to teach what is good, in verse four, and so train the young women. So again, we're not going to go back into what age this is because guess it doesn't matter what age you are. There's women that are younger than you. I have three women in my house and there's, a, there's sort of a, a pecking order in that. And even my older, of my two daughters, my older one actually disciples my younger one. It's an amazing thing to happen, So it doesn't really matter how, how old you are. But we each have a responsibility to take the next generation and lead them to the Lord. To lead them to not make the same mistakes we've made. To lead them to passionately follow Christ. If you do the studies, we know that Throughout history and church history has been around since for 2,000 years. We go back, the people of God go back further than that. But from from Pentecost, we're we're 2,000 years in. And the spiritual, the the church has, has ebbed and flowed. The spiritual fervor has ebbed and flowed with passing generations. Right now in our gospel project, we're studying the book of Judges. We see this cycle that occurred throughout Israel's history. It occurs, it's occurred through church history. We're one generation away from seeing massive apostasy, like a generation turning their backs on the Lord. But we're also one generation away, just one generation away, from seeing the greatest revival that the world has ever seen. And that starts when we take the responsibility not to just to keep our candle under a bush not just to to hold tightly to ourselves or even hold tightly to our family and say okay the things are bad and you know Donald Trump this and Obama this and Hillary this and I can't even believe what's going on in the world and what he just said and what she just said and, and we're just going to huddle together and hold on and ride this storm out and, and maybe in eight years or so we open our eyes and it'll be be better or different are y'all doing that am i the only one that's sweating it a little bit no god's on his throne okay but the difference between going down the road to destruction and revival and repentance is me and you taking the responsibility to teach the next generation and to mold into them and to pour into them. And that doesn't matter what age we are. There's always someone who's, there are a couple steps behind us in life and in in our spiritual walk and saying, okay, that's not just for someone else to do. That's not just for a class to do. That's not just, you know, we call up and make an appointment with Pastor Mark to do. Really to see that transformation take place, that's something that we've all got to take the responsibility to do. And it, it starts it starts in the home, but man man, I, I tell you, it, this type of leading the next generation, what it's going to take is something more than a class or a wana, as great as a wana is, and I love a wana, or, or another program that comes along, it's got to be something on the gut level where You and I take the responsibility and go up to someone and say, hey, can we go have a cup of coffee? What can I pray for you about? How can we pray together? Maybe it just starts with a conversation like that. Something not like I have to give you a book or a plan or you do an eight-week Bible study over. But it starts with one person caring for another person and building a relationship and pointing each other to Jesus. After all that, a Titus 2 woman, what kind of description do we have? What have we been given? A Titus 2 woman is, is, a, is a woman who honors God, who's self-controlled, who loves her family, who's industrious, and who's ready to reach the next generation. Let me ask you, are you a Titus 2 woman? And if any of the guys in this room say yes, then we'll have a discussion afterwards. We will help you with that. You might say, well, pastor, I'm not, but I want to be. I'd like to be. This morning in in our gospel project classes, we studied an unlikely hero, Gideon, who was hiding. And when God approached him to take the next step and lead Israel, what did he say? I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm the weakest. I'm a no-name. I'm the least in my family. And what did God say was going to be the difference? I'm going to be with you. If God is with us, who can be against us? I can do all things through myself, I can do all things through Maxi Fry. I can do a lot of things with Maxi. I tell you, put him loose on a tractor. We can tear some soil up now. I'll tell you what, I've been there. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So as we, we study this this morning, we looked at God's word. None of us are where we ought to be, are we? Is any of us where we ought to be? <laughs> if you raise your hand, you're, you're ready to go home to be with Jesus. But this morning, we can make that decision to take the next step to walk toward him in holiness and purity and righteousness and in love. And I want to encourage, I want to, one, thank all the, all the women in this room. Many of you have poured into my family, poured into my children and loved them. Uh, my children have so many spiritual moms and grandmoms uh, right in this place. Where else does that happen but the church? Giving them the skills they need and the heart they need and pointing them to Jesus. Coming alongside my wife. Some have mentored her. Some have prayed with her. Some have prayed for her. That's the church in action. And I want to encourage you, keep going. Don't give up. Take the next step and be a Titus Two woman. And guys, you know what our job is? Our job is to so passionately follow Christ that we're leading our wife to be a Titus II woman and we're supporting her. She's not having to drag us along. That we're out in front and we're taking the bullets instead of her spiritually for our family and in raising her up to be the woman God's created her to be. That's your job. you think you got it? Got real quiet in here, didn't it? That's your job, guys. You think you got it? Can you do it in your own strength? Can you do it in your own strength? Whose strength? God's strength. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day. God, we thank you. God, I thank you for each of the, Lord, each of the women in this room that you, you have created and you are growing. And, Lord, you have a purpose and a plan. And, Lord, you have used many mighty ways. And, Lord, Lord we haven't even seen yet what you're going to do with the women in this room. And, Lord, I pray that you would help to create each one into a Titus 2 woman, a woman that is fully devoted to you and honors you, and everything that she says and everything that she does. Lord, I thank you for all the, the men here. Lord, the fathers and the husbands. God, I pray that you would help the men. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be the men you have called us to be. That we would so love you. And that we would so follow you. And Lord, that we would love our, love our wives as you loved us. And give ourselves and gave, ourselves, gave yourself up for us, Lord, that we would give ourselves up for our wives and for our families. We love you so much, Lord. This time of invitation, Lord, we just give it to you. Lord, ask us, Lord, show us where we need to surrender to you and to step out in faith and follow you in your strength. In Jesus' name we pray.